Hello and welcome to the Mental Sweet Spot Podcast. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. If you're a podcast returner, thank you so much for joining us again. I'm Melanie Rushing and I'll be joined shortly by Alicia Smith for the sixth installment of our series discussing the traits of the best teams and players, the seven C's. Today we talk about being courageous. Being courageous doesn't mean never having any fears or self-doubt. It means recognizing those fears and either letting them go or finding your way around them. Then and only then can you play fearlessly. Today we discuss what it looks like when your players and teams are courageous and when they're not, ways we as coaches could hurt their courage or help make them more courageous, and ways these things worked with Alicia's team last season and her tips for coaches moving forward. Today's freebie is a worksheet that helps players live more in the courage zone. Inspired by Dr. Sindra Kampoff, this activity will help you move from comfort to courage so you can level up your performance on and off the field. This episode is brought to you by our free workbook, The Softball Coach's Guide to Crafting Your Dream Season. We say that softball is 90% mental, but it's not that easy to implement the mental game 90% of the time. Or can it be? Let us guide you through crafting your dream season by showing you how to implement the mental game every day without it feeling like one more thing you have to do. To get your copy of the workbook, simply head to mentalsweetspot.com and click Yes, I Am. Now let's get to the show. So today we're talking about courageous and specifically being brave despite your fears because those fears will always be there, but they don't have to take over and start to affect your performance. So let's look at the best type of game when your players are fearless. Alicia, walk us through what that looks like. Uh, I think for me, it's definitely when your players are making those great plays because they're extending themselves. For example, like the ball, uh, the fly ball in the gap, for example, when as soon as it's set off the bat, it's a 50-50 chance whether they're going to get it. But when they get the right jump and they extend full, they look like Superman parallel to the ground and they catch that ball, that's fearless because it, they were never, ever, ever, even before the pitch or as the ball's in the air, they were never afraid that they weren't going to get it or thinking about the consequences. And nine times out of 10, that's when they make those great catches. Mm-hmm. I love that. It's like when you know right off the bat, like, yep, they've got it. And if they right. don't, it would be a surprise. Absolutely. And I think that's, I mean, I, as a coach, I love defense. I've always loved coaching defense. I've always loved amazing defensive plays. Um, I think that definitely helps the team's confidence, especially early on. If you're, you know, one of your infielders or outfielders makes some outstanding play to end the inning, that's exciting. If your catcher throws somebody out stealing to end the inning, that's exciting. It pumps the kids up. It pumps me up. And, and when they're doing that is when they can play, they play freely, uh, without the fear of making a mistake and just really putting it all out there. I mean, you hear that all the time, right? Lay it all, lay, leave it all out on the field and, but what does that really mean? So to me, that means, you know, truly pay, playing fearlessly and and really extending yourself for every play and not being worried about the outcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I found that, like, I can tell when my girls are in that zone. So what were some of the, like, tells for your girls when, like, you see them step up to the plate or you see her walk up to the rubber or to their position and you just know they're in that fearless zone? They're They're really relaxed. And they're really focused. So again, words you hear all the time, but you can see in their body language that they are not tense. They're confident uh, in themselves and in the situation and their teammates. Um, Really kind of also, for example, as a pitcher, you really have to trust your defense behind you. And I think when you really truly have that trust in your defense behind you, because they make these great plays and they're playing fearlessly, that allows the pitcher 
I think, to really have that same mentality. And so when they step up with authority or they step up with great body language, um, and you can just see it in their face when they're focused and confident and relaxed and ready to go. Totally agree. I think the same thing up at the plate. Like I can tell when my girls step in the box, they're just like zoned in, ready to go. Not You can tell they're not thinking about anything else and they just are ready to make an impact, whatever that may be. Oh, absolutely. I know on uh, one of my assistant coaches taught my kids, when you walk up to the batter's box from the, from the on-deck circle, you grab, you know, the barrel of the bat and you walk up there with confidence and authority. And that just kind of, sh- it just, you can tell their shoulders sit a little bit higher because they're just walking up there with the, I got the barrel of the bat and I got this. And you can really tell that makes a difference instead of like grabbing the handle and dragging it behind you or with your shoulders slumped. I mean, just, just the way you walk into the box or walk up to the box definitely, definitely shows the confidence and, and the fearlessness. Absolutely. How about the opposite when you mm-hmm. know that the fear is creeping in and you start to get the like, oh no, I'm worried now. <laughs> hesitation. I, I see hesitation on the base pass, uh, trying to get, you know, hesitating to what, what to cover the base, hesitating to get that jump on that fly ball we talked about earlier. I really feel that that's, that is the number one telltale sign that they're not playing fearlessly. Um, that they're afraid to make a mistake because of that slight hesitation. And sometimes it's, it's just enough. Like if you, if you coach, you know, you players long enough, you can tell the difference in when they hesitate and hesitation kills. I always tell them that hesitation kills. It's one, that one step that you hesitated makes a difference between safe and out, uh, makes a difference between whether you throw a runner out or not. And that's really when you see that is that hesitation. Oh, that is such a good point. Like even, like before the game like you can tell they're not quite firing on all cylinders or not just going and playing and having fun. You can tell that hesitation. That's a very good point. So shifting gears a little bit to more of what we coaches can work on. What are some ways that you've seen other coaches or yourself kind of make them a little bit more fearful and not free to play fearlessly? Um, You know, I definitely have done this in the past and learned from my mistakes, but I've also witnessed it, you know, being on the sideline from other coaches standpoints is the, the yelling and the screaming. If there's a mistake made, um, Mm -hmm. they know they made the mistake. Right. And it's not about being positive all the time. It's about how you communicate, you know, the feet or give the feedback to the player. So if Mm -hmm. a ball goes through somebody's legs, first of all, as coaches, we don't need to explain to them what they did, you know, in that moment, what they did wrong. They, they know they missed the ground ball. They almost always know why it could, it could be just simple feedback, just real quick. Hey, next time move your feet, move on. But the yelling and the screaming I've seen witnessed other coaches do that to the point where you literally see the shoulders of the defender slump. And you know, if that ball comes to that player, the next time it, the same thing's going to happen because they're very fearful, scared of making a mistake because what their coach just said, um, it also happens from the sidelines, right? Where uh, the parents sometimes really get on their kids for that. I've seen that too. So it's it's how the feedback is given to the player when it's given and your reaction as well. You know, we've talked many times about the controllables and how it's okay to, you know, you get on them for the controllables and the expectations are set way before you even get out on the field about that. But when you actually are physically making mistakes, that's how they learn and grow, right? So your reaction really has a lot to do with that. 
Mm-hmm. And it's not just like straight yelling, it's your body language too. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I was never a yeller, but <laughs> I gave like the I'm disappointed speech and they oh, they could tell they just like melted. I was like, no, no, that's not what I meant. <laughs> I meant I was just oh, disappointed sure. in the performance, not you. But like these girls want to perform. And I think that what you said earlier about it's not just about like being nice and sugarcoating and as a coach being afraid to give feedback, you have to have these high expectations, but it's just in the way you communicate it that will make the difference whether they feel afraid or feel empowered to change it and get better. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, that goes way back to the beginning. We talked about building relationships. Every kid needs the feedback at a different time and in a different way. Some kids want to know right away, Hey, what, what I do wrong on that? Hey, just move your feet next time or next time, take a little bit, you know, deeper step, you know, on on your um, drop step or excuse me, a deeper angle on your drop step or something like that. And then, and okay, got it next time. Um, but that also starts in practice, right? When you're really working on these things and you're working on the fundamentals and you're working on team defense or you're working on getting your bunts down, that's when the instruction should be happening, right? Um, with the expectations of the fundamentals and in trying to get better. But you really want to push them in practice so they're used to being pushed from, from a standpoint of, you know, trying to dive for the ground ball, trying to dive for the fly ball that you're not sure you can get, you know. So I always encourage my players, I want you to try. Even if you think that ball is 10 feet from me and you can't get it, I still want you to dive. Because when they're, when they're in that mindset where it's okay to fail mm-hmm. at practice, then they're not scared to do it in the game. Absolutely. I totally agree. You have to set those expectations and like we've talked about before, the energy level in practice. So it doesn't seem like the game is so much different. Yes. And you can do that by being very fast paced with some of your drills. Uh, I know I, t- I always go to defense because that's my favorite part, but <laughs> obviously defense or offense is the same, right? You, you set up the expectation for the drill, but you can be very fast paced. Um, you can really stretch them. Um, for example, if you're doing a hitting drill and you're working on hitting behind the runner, for example, you could put up cones in, in right center field and say, this is where I want you to try to hit the ball, you know, and explain why, explain why that that's important and really push them in that, in that direction. And that's when you make those fundamental adjustments, you know, about letting get, letting the ball get deeper in the zone, for example, you know, to really make sure that you're really thinking about that, to try to hit to right center, to right, right center field, to hit behind the runner, to move, to advance the runner. Um, but when you really kind of push them in the, in that sense and practice, and then they're in that game situation, one, they can relate back to the practice that they just had where mm-hmm. they, were, they were pushed to do something and they were successful at it. Mm-hmm. So it's not so overwhelming and they're not, they're not fearful of the situation because they've done it over and over in practice. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think that is the biggest how like bridge bridge for the gap is getting closer and closer to making it tough in practice so that the games seem easy. Yes. And really encouraging them to stretch themselves and, and giving them a space where if they mess up, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I think we as coaches sometimes miss, even accidentally, is kind of mixing up consequences versus punishment. So there have to be consequences in order to level up the pressure and get the girls prepared for games, but you have to do it in the right way so it doesn't just seem like a punishment or that they get afraid to fail because they don't want to do it. 
And I think that can be done in, in discussed in practice. So for example, uh, we do what's called the bunting game uh, a lot. That's one of our um, pressure situation games, right? Where you want to, you want to put pressure on them. So you lay out the expectation. Let's say you have 14 players on the team and the expectation the first time through is to get 12 of the 14 sacrifice months down fairly or down fair, excuse me. And, and that's when you say, okay, this is the, the expectation that we get for everyone that we don't get to 12. And then there's a sprint. That's the consequence for not getting your bunt down. And then you can talk to them about, okay, what's the consequence in a game if you don't get the bunt down and we don't move the runner over to second, right? In a critical mm-hmm. situation, in a really close game, and it's the seventh inning and it's one-to-one and the leadoff hitter gets on first base, we will bunt the runner over in order to try to win the game. So the consequence for not doing that is not moving your teammate over, not giving your team a chance to win. So that levels up the pressure in practice. So in theory, right, when you come to the game, that's not so scary. That's not so uh, pressure packed because you've pre- uh, practiced that pressure um, in practice. Now, when you go to like a, con- uh, excuse me, a, a punishment would be for me for something where, hey guys, you know, you I heard you guys in the dugout really kind of talking nasty to each other, for example. So we're going to run polls for that because that's not acceptable in our culture here, you know, at Meadowan and what we do. That's a punishment because they're, they're doing something that's controllable. They are or not doing something that's controllable and it's not conducive to the atmosphere that we would want on our team, for example. So, you know, consequences can be put on drills for, to add pressure, but also for them to understand uh, if we're playing defense and the throws are all over the field, that's a focus thing to me. So make, if you can't make that throw from shortstop to first base consistently, let's reel in the focus and let's do 10 pushups the whole team for every bad throw we have, because that's not, that's not something that I would expect my team to, to be able to not work through. Right. I expect my team to do throws and catches. And so, you know, if there's a high level there and you're, you have high level goals, for example, that's not going to get it done. There's a consequence for not being able to throw the ball consistently to first base. Mm-hmm. I think what you said there about being based on things that they can control is the key here. Mm-hmm. Um, I've even seen coaches use uh, sprints and stuff for runs given up. And I personally don't like that because there's like a lot of times we're like, what? <laughs> like, that wasn't a big deal. Like, that wasn't our fault. Or like, she just a beast and hit a pitch two inches off the ground out of the park. But right. <laughs> if you're talking about it week to week and as a team you realize hey we need to put a little bit more pressure on ourselves during games to focus in on uh, run production or not giving up runs and then it's a consequence because that was something you discussed and you made it something you could control then i think it could work but i don't condone punishments between games or right after game just saying Right. I, I, and I've seen it. I've seen it at the high school level. I've seen coaches make their kids run for something. Now, the only thing is you don't know what that thing is for. Right. So if, if, if maybe they were, you know, doing something like, like we talked about earlier, that is just not conducive in the environment that you want. That's a different mm-hmm. story. But if it's because they lost because they didn't play well, because they had 17 errors, that doesn't send the message home to them. Right. That doesn't send the message home to the kids. It only gets them more angry. So what you got to work through is, yep, chalk it up to a really bad game. We have a lot of work to do in practice the next day or the next time we see each other and we've got to get better at this. So as a coach, you got to go back and say, okay, what other types of things can I do in practice to make sure that we don't have 17 errors next time? 
So kind of put that back on you and reflect a little bit to say, what can I do to help my players succeed? What, what do I need to do to add to maybe add different drills or maybe different communication? It could have just been an anomaly, right? Where it just, it was the one time and it happened and you just got to chalk that up and move on. Mm-hmm. But if it's a, it's something that you're not happy with, uh, say on hard defense, for example, if you have five errors a game consistently, go back and look at how you're practicing and change, change the level of what you're you know doing in practice and giving them more, you know, maybe detailed feedback. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then, Hey, if you need more consequences there, that's when you add it. Absolutely. Totally agree. So how about your team this past season? How do you feel they did as far as being courageous? I know one of their words was fearless. It was. Um, there was something that they definitely had to work at every day. And it's not something that just happens overnight. It's not something that, you know, happens in a very short period of time. It's that it's, it's a consistent, you know, talking about it. What does it mean? It was a, a where they decided they wanted as a part of their culture. So that was something that we had discussions on all the time. What does it mean to be fearless? How do you feel like this, you know, can impact you or impact the team to play, play fearlessly? And, you know, it, it came out at the end, which is what's so cool. Um, they were making the most amazing defensive plays when it mattered, right? Mm-hmm. When the winning run is on third base and, and your shortstop or third baseman makes a play that, you know, without hesitation mm-hmm. and with confidence um, to, to extend that game, you know, or your pitcher on the mound just battling and fearless and not worried about what they're throwing, just throwing every pitch with confidence. Um, when you're up to bat, just going up there and, and swinging, you know, without the hesitation, because you've seen it where the kids half swing or take mm. a pitch. And mm-hmm. You saw it really on all aspects. And in the dugout, you saw it, you know, they were not fearful of any opponent. They were very confident in themselves. And when it all comes together like that, it is truly fun to watch. And the kids had, mm-hmm. a, you know, they have fun playing that way. And it sometimes doesn't come out until the very last game or two. And that's okay because you've been working on it all season long. But when it does come together, it's really special to see. Absolutely. Uh, I wish I could have been there to watch that game. It was, so it good. was, it was an intense game and one of the most intense I've been in in a long time. And, you know, of course, barring that, you know, except for the outcome, of course, it, it's just so much fun to watch your kids because you're just like a proud mom and the kids, <laughs> the kids feel it, the kids know it. And that's what you want to get to. Mm-hmm. Oh, that is the dream. And yeah. you can get there every season if you're going through and being deliberate about all this stuff. Absolutely. And as a part of your conversation, right? It has to be a part of your conversation, but the deliberate practice is really where that allows them to get to that place in a game because they've been there all year long, every single day in practice, they've been there. And you're going to have your ups and downs in practices and you're going to have your ups and downs in the season, but if you're patient and stick with it and keep telling them they've got it, keep telling them to be that they've that they will be this amazing team that you've seen and share their, you know, your vision with them of what mm-hmm. they can be, that helps build that confidence slowly, one brick at a time. Actually wasn't planning on talking about this, but you sparked something that I think is really interesting. The coaches being courageous through this mm-hmm. process. Cause even you and I in the middle of the season had a point where we were like, what is happening? Like, is this working? What do we do next? Like, do we continue? <laughs> and like making sure we trusted it. Really, we just need to vent. <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. 
needed to let you vent and then refocus and you were good. But how about some tips for being courageous as a coach when your fears start to creep in? That's a good point because I don't, at least for me, um, being fortunate enough to have playoff experience year after year after year, it still sometimes seeps in. Like, am I doing the right thing for this team? Are they, are they going to get it? Is there anything else I could do? What am I doing wrong? Why aren't they getting it? Mm -hmm. And I think, I think going through, you know, talk, having someone to talk to like you, obviously was very helpful to remind myself, you know, or same thing with the assistant coaches mm -hmm. that we believe so strongly in, in how we do things, how we teach things, uh, how important the culture is and all the things that we did this year, because I've seen it time and time again work. And even if you haven't personally experienced that, there are examples of it everywhere, mm -hmm. right? In every sport, at every level of what happens when you can stick to it, stick to the process and you believe in it. And if you can communicate that to your kids every single day, even if in the back of your mind, you are questioning, you know, what you're doing because you get lost in the details. That's what happened to me, right? I got lost in the details. But if you can stand in front of your team and be uber confident that guys, this is going to work. You're going to get there. Trust me, trust the process, trust each other, mm -hmm. um, trust this entire thing. You will get there. And I think you just have to keep reminding yourself, you yes. know, and, and not get lost in the details because that's what happened to me. Um, and it happens every year. Oh my gosh, we are, we are just in a hitting slump right now. So what, what kind of drills do I need to do to make sure, you know, but of course keep with the drills, but you've just got to stick with the process mm -hmm. and trust it. I love that. Do you have any other tips for coaches to create this fearless atmosphere and mindset? Well, I think it starts with you hundred percent. So I'm not afraid to fail. Right. So because I've done it so many times, but it's the learning from it. So if you can continue to communicate that same idea, same feeling, same confidence to your players, they will start to not be afraid to fail. And it's, if they do fail, how do you react to it? Mm -hmm. Right. So it's the, it's the lessons learned. It's the encouragement. It's the constant talk with them, building that relationship with your team, telling them all the time they can do it. And I mm -hmm. think you, if you, if you as a coach are in that slump or in those games where things just aren't going well for a week or two, you've got to have the, you've got to be fearless as well, that mm -hmm. those kids will get there and you've got to keep telling them that, but you also got to tell yourself that you believe in what you're doing and to, to not stop what you're doing just because things in that moment aren't going well. Mm-hmm. Been there, middle of a double header, switching things up. Yep. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> yep. And and I'm not saying there isn't time for change or there isn't time for switching mm. a lineup up, but you know, that has to come when you're not emotional about it and it can't be a knee-jerk reaction. You know what I mean? And and I think too, part of what helped me as a coach grow, I stopped worrying about what other people thought because mm. early in my career, I definitely cared about that. Yeah. And and well, what is what is so and so? you know, what is Susie Q's dad thinking right now? Because I'm having her bunt when mm -hmm. she's number four batter. Like, so those kind of things I worried about early in my career. And I think when you can also let go of that, that, you know, I'm doing everything. And I tell my kids all the time, I make decisions based on all the feedback from the coaching staff and what we all feel is best for the team. Mm -hmm. End of story. Yep. And, and I don't worry what everyone else thinks um, about my decisions or 
the way that we run things because I'm so confident in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You built it up, you've proven it. And the trusting is what's going to make it actually work out time and again. Absolutely. And that's a wrap on today's episode. Thank you so much for spending your precious time with us. We hope you're enjoying the show. If so, we'd truly appreciate a five-star rating on iTunes or on our site at mentalsweetspot.com forward slash reviews. And give us a shout out on social media and let us know what you've learned and how you've implemented these tactics with your team. See you next week for another episode. Talk to you soon. Have a good one.